I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today I'm continuing a series you guys know called 20 Years in 20 Podcasts. So for those that have never heard of the series before, uh, what I'm doing is I'm going through every year of Magic's existence from its beginning uh, and spending a podcast talking about it. Um, and we are up to 2003. So let's get going. Okay, so January 17th to the 19th was Pro Tour Chicago. Um, so this is important, uh, historically speaking, as I believe it's the last uh, PT win thus far of Kai Buda from Germany, the German juggernaut. Uh, so Kai Buda defeated Nikolai Herzog. So it's, it's whenever you have two uh, future Hall of Famers playing each other in the finals, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, the other real famous thing about this PT was it's the one time in the top eight that John Finkel played Kai Buda, and they played in the semifinals, and obviously Kai won since he won the whole thing. Um, so the interesting story here is back in the day, I used to be in charge of, uh, of the producer for the video, for all the coverage. And so it, I, I would pick, you know, what match we would start on. And so I remember going back to, uh, to talk to everybody. I said, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to start on Finkel on Buda. And then we're going to not end till it ends. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to them. We're not moving away. Because usually what happens is we'd watch a game. And then when that game finished, we'd go watch a different game. And we'd bounce around so you had a chance to see everybody. But I'm like, Kai Buda is playing John Finkel in the top eight of a pro tour. We will watch that. We will watch that for the entirety of that happening. Um, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was very cool to watch. Um, anyway, maybe they will meet again. They both still play. So I, I, I believe there's a chance for a Buda Finkel uh, finals match again. But that, that was the classic one. Um, so, oh, the, by the way, the event was Rochester Draft. Um, so back in the day, the way the Pro Tours used to work is we used to alternate between doing a limited format and doing a constructed format. Rochester, for those that don't know, is one where you lay out all the cards and you draft one at a time. But it's open information. Everybody sees what's being drafted. Where Booster is closed, you only get to see the pack as it's passed to you. Uh, there also was a Masters event. So we, we used to do these other events at the Pro Tour uh, that was sort of an invitational. You had to be one of the top players to play in it. Uh, it just was another way for pros to make money. Um, and also, I think we were making content, uh, additional content. Anyway, uh, the Masters was standard, and uh, Frank Canoe defeated Ken Ho uh, in standard. Okay, then January 25th uh, was the pre-release, and February 3rd was the release of Legions, codenamed Mo of Manny, Mo and Jack, which were the Pet Boys. I've talked about this before, that most people who do not live in a city with the Pet Boys have no idea who that is. Um, so the set had 145 cards, 55, 45, 45. Now, for those that know their magic history, they're like, wait a minute. During that period of time, small sets were 143. They were 55, 44, 44. What's up? Uh, what's up was the gimmick of this set. So Legions is famous. Uh, Legions and um, Alara Reborn are probably the two sets that are most famous for just being all of something. So Legions was all creatures. All 145 cards were creatures. Um, it's also famous because the set at the time was thought of as being very weak because there were not a lot of tournament cards in it. Um, but it did really well with the casual crowd. The set actually sold really well. For a long time, it was the best-selling small set. Uh, and it's a good example of, we used to use that as an example all the time, of that there are different audiences. And, you know, the 
The more experienced players that were more geared toward tournament play, ah, the set didn't have as much to offer. But the casual players, they're just having fun. There's just lots of fun things going on. Um, clearly, Onslaught block was a tribal block, so this set had a lot of tribal components in it. Um, and so, anyway, Legions was definitely something that, um, uh, like I said, it, it, it had its fans, and it really did enjoy it. The, uh, the reason there's 145, I mean, the reason there's 45 uncoms and 45 rares was um, we were keeping to tight cycles in the set. So, um, normally what we do, and the reason that we'll go to, like, to uh, 144 is, oh, well, what we do is you have um, artifacts or lands fill in the slots. Well, it couldn't be lands because we had all creatures, and artifacts could only be artifact creatures, and we didn't want to have four artifact creatures at uncommon, four artifact creatures at rare. So what we did instead was just upped one. Um, so people all often ask why those numbers exist at the rate they do. Um, why do we do exactly the numbers? And the reason is, in, in a short hold, is when we print magic cards, the way it works is they get printed on a sheet. Um, and the sheets, uh, in the past, they were 110. I think at this point in time in Magic, they were 110. Now they're 121. Um, and there's just math. If you want every card to show up at the same, you know, every card of the same rarity to show up the same number of times, um, there's just basic math of how much you can divide up sheets. And sometimes a rarity will be on multiple sheets, and so the way we divvy up, we'll, we'll split it. And there's, there's complicated things about collation, but essentially those numbers have to do with how we print. Um, now, sometime in the future, we're not there yet, we'll get to what we call uh, print-on-demand. Uh, I mean, print-on-demand exists, it's just not cheap yet. Uh, the, the digital printing will get us to a place at some point where we might be able to pick and choose the numbers we want and not be tied to, to sheet size to determine size of sets, but we still are. So that is why that is. Um, okay, what's next? Next is uh, in March, anything in February? I see nothing. In March 21st to the 23rd was Pro Tour Venice. Uh, it was Onslaught Block Constructed. And uh, Osip Libidowicz defeat from the United States defeated Tomi Wallamies from Finland. Um, both Osip and Tomi uh, were Pro Tour regulars. I mean, they were both well-known names. Uh, each one of them has been in talks for Hall of Fame. Uh, neither one has made the Hall of Fame. But, but they were both people that people like voted for and talked about and you know were contenders for the Hall of Fame. Um, uh, Venice, I think it's the one time we were in Venice. Also, the, uh, there was a Masters event. So the Masters event was Team Limited. So for Team Limited, there was a team called PS2, which was uh, Masahiko Morita, uh, Katsuhiro Mori, and Masahiro Kuroda. Um, so Kuroda is, I believe, in the Hall of Fame. Um, uh, Marina and Mori, so all three of them are very, very famous, are famous Japanese players. Um, and so they was a very high-octane Japanese team. They defeated 2020, which was Elijah Pollock, Steve Wolfman, and David Rude. Um, they had done well, I think, in 2002 at a, at a PT, a team PT. So anyway, uh, it was Japan versus Canada in the Masters Team Limited, and Japan was on top. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else exciting about that. That definitely, uh, it was a format of giant creatures playing each other. Onslaught Block obviously um, had a lot of tribal components, and that was definitely one of the, um, the it was a, uh, a finals of, of lots of big creatures. Uh, the Onslaught Block constructed lend itself toward, uh, toward pit fighters and just things doing giant things. Um, for those who don't know Osup, he is quite a character, he's very funny. Uh, and in fact, Tommy. In fact, this might be uh, 
the finals of two of the funniest people to ever be on the Pro Tour. Both Tommy Wallamese and Osip are, are both very, very funny um, and, and, and real characters. And so it was quite the finals. Okay, next. June 27th to 29th uh, was U.S. Nationals, where Joshua Wagner defeated Gabe Walls. Um, that will become important later. I, I bring it up just because uh, when we get to Worlds later, uh, Wagner and Walls will do something important. Okay, next, May 17th was the pre-release. May 26th was Scourge. Uh, Scourge was nicknamed Jack for Manny Moe and Jack, and it on, back to 143 cards. So 55, uh, 44, 44, which is normally what small sets were at the time. So Scourge was lead designed by Brian Tinsman. So um, Legions was lead designed by Mike Elliott. Scourge was lead designed by Brian Tinsman. Um, so, so, oh, the, the thing I, I didn't mention about Legions is, it's funny, because Legions was lead designed by Mike Elliott, but lead developed by William Jockish. Um, and William had this attitude that every creature in the set had to really be a creature. Because there's ways with creatures to mimic, you know, you can put on uh, Enter the Battlefield effects and put Flash with Enter the Battlefield effects and you can put Global effects. And there's a lot of way to mimic other cre- card types using creatures. And um, William really didn't like that. And William pushed hard to try to, as much as possible, make them creatures and not creatures that were f- functionally filling other roles. I think that was a mistake, by the way, looking back, in that, look, if they say creature in the crate line, you, 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 you've met your task, that's okay, that you don't necessarily need to... Part of what you wanted to do with an all-creature set is mimic some other creature types to make sure that you have the balance of the kind of things you need. Anyway, on to uh, Scourge. So when Scourge was designed by um, Brian Tinsman, he decided that... The, the, how I often talk about the third set problem. He was trying to just do something different. So he took a... Uh, a sharp turn. One of, the, one of the ideas for how to make the third set different is just do something different. So even though the set going up into this was all about tribal and had morph, Brian made his set all about converted mana cost matters, which was thematically about having things that were expensive, caring about having expensive CMC stuff. Um, and that set has a Scornful Egotist, which was an 8-drop 1-1 one, one with morph. And the idea was, well, you didn't play it with its hard cast, you morphed it. And then we had it in play, it was a cheap creature that had a really high converted mana cost that you could take advantage of with other cards. Um, the other thing that happened was, Brian made a set, I don't think it was Brian's intent when he made the set to have a dragon theme. In fact, the design had very few dragon cards in it. But somewhere along the way, somebody, maybe someone on the development team, decided that the set needed a, a hook. And I guess Brian had put a few dragons in the set, and a couple high-profile ones. And so they decided, well, since this was a tribal block, maybe we can make the third set about tribal dragons, dragon tribal. The only small problem was it wasn't really there. And so the set was kind of sold as dragon tribal, but it didn't really have that many dragons in it. I believe the whole set has, I think, six cards that are a dragon or could make a dragon. And then there's a bunch of cards that reference dragons and have a little bit of a flavor of dragons. But anyway, Scourge was a was sold as a dragon set, but was kind of sadly not really a dragon set. I mean, eh, development pushed it a little bit, so it had a, it had enough to, with the straight face could say, well, a tiny dragon tribal. But anyway, I, I, th- th- that was a mistake. Talk some mistakes. Um, okay, next. Oh wait a second! I did not talk about. I, I talked about. Um, Yokohama. I'm oh, sorry, not Yokohama. I talked about, um... What did I talk about? I talked about P.T. Venice. Did I mention... No, I didn't mention... Okay, I'm sorry. 
one of the things about these is I have all this stuff written, written down and I'm driving and so I, I just can peek at notes. So trying to remember this all is, is tricky. Okay, so now we get, after Scourge, um, oh, did I skip P.T. Yokohama? I did, I did, I did, I did. Sorry. Before, I, I jumped to Scourge, but earlier in May, actually the week before, May 9th to 11th, was P.T. Yokohama, which was a Boucher Draft tournament. Um, and in it, Matthias Jordstedt from Sweden defeated uh, Masashi Oyoso from Japan. Uh, both pretty good players. Uh, both had uh, multiple top eights. Um, so, uh, Booster Draft, it was a, so it was a full block Booster Draft. Um, and uh, there also was a Masters. The Masters uh, was extended. Uh, the Masters actually was a pretty uh, high octane Masters. Bob Marr, who was at the time king of extended, or one, one of the best extended players, defeated Gabriel Nassif. So, once again, that's another uh, future Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Famer playing Hall of Famer. Um, you know, Mar, uh, Bob Mar Jr. is from the United States. Uh, Gabe Nassif is from Japan. Uh, not Japan. Gabe Nassif is from France. Um, and they were both really, really good players. I mean, one could argue they're top ten of all time. Um, I'm mean, absolutely in the Hall of Fame. Okay, sorry, jumping around there. So, um, uh, so in July, we had the European Championships. Um, so kind of as a, a companion to the, the U.S. Championships, which was a pretty big event, Europe got together and all the people played. Uh, and Nikolai Herzog of Norway defeated Pierre Malabond of France. Um, so Nikolai Herzog, I believe this is the second time he won the European Championships, and this is the sixth European Championships, and four of the six European Championships were won thus far by Norwegians. Uh, it was very much the Norwegian tournament. They, they used to joke it was the Norwegian Invitational because uh, it was won by Norway so much. Um, anyway, Nikolai Herzog, like I said, he... Uh, Obviously, early in the year, got to the finals against Buddha. He, he was a very, very good player. And um, obviously, he got voted in the Hall of Fame because he was so good. Um, okay, next, um, July 28th was the release of 8th Edition. So 8th Edition had 357 cards, which is an odd number. So it had 110 commons, 110 uncommons, 110 rares, because at the time, our sheets were 110. So that meant a full sheet of each rarity. And then there were 20 lands. That's normal for a large set. And then there were seven extra cards. What? What are these seven extra cards? So what happened was we had some cards we needed for the intro game to teach people, um, but we didn't want to take up slots in the thing. So we put them in. There was a starter product that needed them to teach. And so we just put them in. We labeled them as if they were in. They had uh, 8th edition um, expansion symbol, but they were labeled special. They were like special 1 through 7. And so if you wanted those cards, they only existed in the intro game. They didn't, you couldn't actually get them in a booster of 8th of edition. Um, we have done that a couple times where we just had cards we needed and we wanted them to be legal. The reason they're included in 8th edition is we wanted someone who bought an intro pack and that was what they had to play with. If they went to a tournament, we didn't want them kicked out. But the cards were low-powered, meaning we, didn't, they, we know they wouldn't matter for constructed play. We just wanted them legal so that if beginners played them, they weren't kicked out for having some random, you know, eager cadet or whatever one of the cards was. Um, so 8th edition, by the way. So uh, July, this is July 2003, it was the 10th edition of Magic the Gathering. Magic had come out, premiered for the first time in July of 1993, so in July of 2003 was our 10th anniversary. Um, to celebrate, we decided to do something a little special with the 8th with edition. So 8th edition was coming out on our 10th anniversary. Um, this is actually an idea that I came up with, that uh, 
we weren't really doing anything for the 10th anniversary. I'm like, oh, we should do something. I go, look, our, we have a product coming out, and it's a, it's a corset. So the idea I pitched, which uh, obviously I managed to convince him to do, was uh, there was a gimmick. And the gimmick was there was a card from each set, uh, each black-bordered set, uh, in Magic's history that had never before been in the core set. So starting from... I mean, I think we actually repeated something from Alpha, although by definition that had been in a core set. Uh, but from Arabian Nights forward, every set from Arabian Nights up through Scourge, I believe, there was a card from every expansion Magic had had. I even, I even tried to get um, a card from Unglued in. I think I tried to get the cheese stand alone. Um, but there's a rule about how uh, if you have a, if cards are the same name, any version can be played. And there's a rule that says silver border cards can't be played. So if we had had a black bordered version of cheese stands alone, there were, one of two rules would have had gotten broken, and we didn't want to break either rule. So we decided uh, silver border sets don't get cards. Um, in retrospect, in retrospect, what I should have done is stuck one of the lands in. I didn't think of that at the time. Um, anyway, um, but there's cards from every portal, every portal product. There were cards from in anything that produced new cards. Um, and it, it was a fun promotion. I was real excited, and we were definitely able to, to jazz things up. And we threw a few cards in there that might not have been inspector. Maybe normally we wouldn't have thrown in. Um, although it was a challenge, some sets had very clear, easy choices, and some sets, you know, like for example, some of the early sets, uh, Arabian Nights was a good example where um, we couldn't use uncommons or rares because they were on the reserve list, and of the commons, a lot of them had been reprinted, and so we had to find a common that hadn't been reprinted before that we could reprint. Um, okay, after 8th edition, what is next? Um, next is... Um, August 6th through the 10th was the World Championships in Berlin. Um, so, uh, uh, let's see. Daniel Zink of Germany defeated Jin Okamoto of Japan to become the World Champ. So, uh, uh, Dirk, I'm sorry. Daniel was, um, I think, the first German... No, no, second. Kaibuta did in 1999. So, uh, Daniel Zink was the second German to become uh, World Champ. Uh, and there's only a handful of countries that have had multiple people be world champ. Um, the U.S. has done it. Germany's done it. Japan has done it. Um, that might be it. I forget. I apologize if I'm forgetting somebody. Um, uh, so the other exciting thing that went on there was... So the U.S. team, uh, 1995 Worlds was the first time that we uh, declared a, a winner in the, in the team event. U.S. managed to win that. So U.S. won every year, with exception of 1997, where Canada won. Um, U.S. had won every year up until 2002. In fact, North America had not lost until 2002. Well, in 2002, Germany won. Team Germany with Kai Buda. And finally, um, the U.S. lost after, after a pretty long streak. Um, so in 2003, the U.S. had a mission. Team USA wanted to win again. In fact, there was one member of Team USA that really wanted to win. And that was Justin Gary. So Justin Gary had been the U.S. champ in 1997. So the U.S. had won every single year from 1995 through 2001, with one small exception, 1997, the year that um, the, the year that the uh, the U.S. did not. In fact, it's the only year up through 2003 that the U.S. or including 2003, it's the only year the U.S. hadn't made the finals. Not only didn't they win, they didn't even make the finals. Now, in 2002, the U.S. didn't win, but they did make the finals. In fact, in a very dramatic fashion, remember my 2002 podcast. Um, so, um, so the team, uh, at the time, 
Worlds has had different uh, amount of team members from the national team. Sometimes it's been four, sometimes it's been three. In 2003, it was three. It's back to four now, but, or, well, it's now the, the, uh, world, um, the world magic up. But anyway, we'll get there eventually. Um, okay, so uh, it was Josh Wagner, Gabe Walls, and um, Justin Gary. Good players. Uh, I mean, Gabe Walls and Justin Gary both had top eights. And um, Anyway, Justin was a man with a mission that he, you know, he had let USA down once. He wasn't going to let it happen again. Uh, and so the finals were the, the U.S. versus uh, Finland, led by um, Tommy Wallamies, who had just made the finals against Osum in uh, Venice. Um, and uh, USA pulled it off! So um, so the USA continued their streak of being uh, in the finals. Well, at minus 97, they'd been in the finals every year, and they'd won every year except for 2002 and 1997. But they won again. The U.S. reclaimed the victory. Okay. Next... Um, let's see. Was September 12th through the 14th was Pro Tour Boston. So that was a team limited event. So a limited event was, um, I'm trying to think how it worked. Uh, I think what happened was they, the first day was team sealed where they just got a lot of product. And then I think it went to Rochester, team Rochester draft. I think that's how it worked. Anyway, the team that won was the Brockefellers. So, Brock Parker, Matt Lindy, and William Jensen. William, a.k.a. Baby Huey Jensen, or Huey Jensen. Um, so, uh, uh, Jensen went on to become a Hall of Famer. Um, Matt Lindy was probably most famous for winning the U.S. Nationals in 96, where he defeated Mike Long, to keep Mike Long from becoming the U.S. National Champion in what I consider the most dramatic finals ever. Uh, and the Brock Parker was another very, very good player. Um, and the three of them came up and... Uh, and won. Uh, and they defeated the original Slackers, which was Ricard, uh, Ricardo Osterberg, um, Lord, uh, how do I pronounce his name? Sran, Sran, Sranday? I'm interested in his name. And Jake um, Smith. Uh, I don't know if all of them were from Sweden. Uh, I know Ricardo was from Sweden. Um, Osterberg was from Sweden. Uh, I think his teammate. I think they might all be from Sweden. Anyway, they lost to the Brockefellers, who were all from the United States. Um, okay, we then get to September 20th, was a pre-release, October 3rd was a release, of Mirrodin, whose code name was Bacon. Uh, Mirrodin Block was Bacon, Lettuce, and Tomato. So we liked the idea of having three sets of things that went in an order that you knew, but we decided we had to be more careful and pick things that everybody knew. Well, Bacon, Lettuce, and Tomato, pretty good. A lot of people, by the way, when they heard the code name, people always assume the code names mean something when they don't. And so Bacon, Meat, it's a meaty set, it, you know, the... Uh, and then when, when they found out later on it was an artifact, they said, ah, because um, artifacts up until Mirrodin had been brown. And so like, ah, meat is brown, and it's an artifact set, so it's brown, like that. Okay. Whenever you find a connection between the code name and the set, it was accidental, because the code names were not decided to have anything to do with the sets. Usually they're picked before the sets exist. Um, anyway, Mirrodin was um, 306 cards, so 110, 110 rares, 88, un- 88 uncommons, 88 rares. I'm sorry, 110 commons, 88 uncommons, 88 rares. Um, you'll notice, by the way, as I go through the years and talk about different sets, how the set sizes keep changing. Um, we are always sort of readjusting and figuring out what the correct set sizes are supposed to be. Um, I believe Mirrodin was us cutting back a little bit. Um, before, we had done 110, 110, 110, I think, and that was a bit high. And so we're doing 110, 88, 88, which is a little smaller, a little more manageable. So Mirrodin, for those that might not know, was an artifact block um, all about 
we visited the metal world of Mirrodin, who was, uh, we later found out, I think we found out at the time, was created by Karn, um, and it was run by, oh, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, uh, engine, uh, blah, he's a blue legendary creature, Memnarch. It was ruled by the Memnarch. Um, and Memnarch, uh, he created... Some of the creatures from the world he had created, a lot of which he had dragged from other worlds. Uh, and then over time, the qualities of the world had sort of um, ingrained with the creatures, and so th- there was a lot of metal components to all the creatures. Um, and the set, the shtick of the set was, it was Artifact Matters. Um, uh, we introduced equipment for the first time. Um, uh, the set had Entwine and had um, Imprint. And had oh, and had probably the most broken mechanic, affinity for artifacts. Um, so Mirrodin ended up being pretty broken. Uh, Dark Steel, which would come out next year, two thousand four, added fuel to the fire, and um, it was a pretty. Uh, uh, I talk about the biggest mistakes design has made, and uh, I think the the biggest block mistakes probably Kamigawa's biggest design mistake, um, and the and the biggest developmental mistake is a tie either between Urza Saga or Mirrodin. Uh, but Mirrodin was a little bit overpowered. Okay, a little bit, it's being kind. Uh, it was really overpowered, and we ended up having to ban a lot of cards from the block. Plus, it being an artifact block and everything being colorless, it was hard to, like, stop the deck by removing one piece. Because we, we, I, I used to refer to it as the blob. And then it, no matter what piece you took, it just had other pieces, and we ended up having to ban a lot of cards to be able to deal with it. Um, Mirrodin, uh, the world of Mirrodin, we'd go back to, obviously, we'd see it later in Scars of Mirrodin. Um, also, in Mirrodin, we actually laid the seeds for the Frexian invasion, which we knew in Mirrodin we, was going to happen. Um, it, we, like I said, how we were going to portray it uh, changed a little bit, but the uh, the idea that we wanted that the new Frexia had, had sneakily, I'm sorry, the Frexia had sneakily got its way under Mirrodin and was slowly turning it was something that that there's little tiny glimpses of in Mirrodin. Uh, but we'll come to full fruition, obviously, in Scars of Mirrodin seven years later. Okay, next. October 31st to November 2nd was P.T. Norlins. P.T. Norlins. Uh, it was an extended event, and uh, Rick Osterberg, or Ricardo Osterberg, 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 he's from Sweden, uh, defeated Gabriel Nassif from France. Um, so, uh, obviously, Gabriel Nassif go on to be a Hall of Famer. Osterberg, a very good player. He just heard about him coming in second in the Masters up above, um, or previously, uh, and uh, anyway, uh, Extended was, uh, at the time, we used to have an Extended Pro Tour every year, um, but anyway, Extended has, has uh, since, not not as supported as it once was. Okay, next, oh, wait, 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 wait. did I talk about, uh, who was, did I write down, I don't know if I wrote down the Masters for PT, I did not write down the Masters for PT New Orleans, at some point the Masters ends, although I think there was a Masters from PT New Orleans. Um, I'm pretty sure there was. I don't think it ended yet. I just didn't write it down. So whoever was the... Uh, whoever won the Masters at PT New Orleans, I apologize. Um, okay, so... Uh, the next thing that came out in December uh, was the World Champ Decks, the 2003 World Champ Decks. Um, I don't remember who all they were. I mean, obviously, it was Zinc played um, Okamoto, so both of those were in. Like I said, the rule of, of the, the World Champ Decks was it was the... Two finalists, assuming the finals weren't playing the same deck. Uh, and then usually two other people in the top eight, uh, based somewhat on, on deck, deck choice, based somewhat on personality. Um, usually we pick the four best deck, most interesting decks to play. 
And then if there was multiple people playing the deck, we skewed toward the better player, the better name. Because um, part of the, 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 the decks were trying to both build uh, the archetypes and build up the players. So, um, And that was uh, Henry Stern used to always go to the Pro Tour. That was Henry Stern's job. I think I explained this every year that Henry Stern did that. Um, okay, so I'm almost to work. Uh, we, that, my friends, was 2003. So you'll notice, by the way, I mentioned this in 2002, but it's uh, worth pointing out. So in January, we had, or not January, was it January? Um, Yeah, Legions came out in February. Legions came out in February. Scourge came out in May. Eighth Edition came out in July. Mirrodin came out in October. Uh, We had World Chemtex in December. And that's it. We had three expansions. We had one core set. And we had the World Chemtex. And back in the day, that's all we made. Uh, it's funny because one of the things that will happen as we move forward through time and you'll start seeing us adding products um, to the point now where you know, every month we, we have a product. So um, it's a, it was a very different time. Uh, also, if we can go back in the day, the, the, the people that are making magic back in 2003 was a much smaller group of people. Um, I mean, most of the design, I mean, uh, Mike Elliott and I were, were the, the, the normal designers. I mean, there were a few people like Brian Tinsman that would, would chip in. Um, but anyway, it was just a much smaller uh, group back then. Uh, from a PT, there's no one dominant. I, I think in some of the previous years, there were just people dominating. And I mean, obviously, Kai won a Pro Tour, and there's other names here that, that show up multiple times. Um, but no one, kind of the Pro Tour settled down a little bit. It wasn't nearly, uh, for, for a while, it was sort of like it was very star-studded where one person was just dominating. And now, it, it, it settled down a little bit. There were, there were a bunch of names that were doing well. Um, and clearly, as, as I can demonstrate, you know, a lot of the people doing well would later end the Hall of Fame, which is obviously correlated. Um, but like, it wasn't like nobody's were winning. People, the name people were winning and doing well. Um, like I said, Gabriel C, for example, shows up multiple times. So there, there are, there are people doing well, but it's not, it's not the dominance that you saw like in 2000 or 2001. That, that just wasn't happening. Okay. So, um, what was 2000, my, my final recap of 2003? Uh, I mean, we learned some stuff. I, I feel like the gimmick of Legions taught us a lot about the difference between some of the casual players and some of the more experienced players. Um, well, actually, the, the tournament players versus the casual players. You know, that, that the tournament players were a little unhappy with Legions, but the casual players really ate it up. And it taught us a lot about... Um, there's an audience that's very vocal and very in front of us, but there, there's another important audience that's also very big that is a little more... We used to call them invisibles because they were much harder to see. Um, so in 2003 was learning a little bit more about the Invisibles. Um, it was definitely uh, a year of mistakes from uh, a developmental standpoint where uh, we made a broken... I mean, it would not... The, the brokenness would really take... Would not, it's 2004 where you'll see the brokenness take fruition, but uh, it started here. But anyway, guys, that in a wrap-up, or in, in a... a, a a 30-minute uh, wrap-up, was the year of 2003. So I hope you guys enjoyed hearing about it. And uh, it, it, was, it, was not a, it wasn't a standout year. There, there was not a lot of high-profile things. Um, but there were a few things here and there that definitely went on to... Uh, I mean, Mirrodin made its stamp, and obviously we'd go back to Mirrodin. So, but anyway, um, also, by the way, I should mention, uh, Mirrodin at the time was the best-selling set Magic ever had, and it held that record for quite a while. Now, part of the reason is it drove a lot of people out of the game. So, <laughs> Mirrodin has a Mirrodin was a, a, a weird a weird uh, child. But anyway, um, that my friends is 2003. But I've now parked my car. 
which means it's time for me to be making magic and an end to my drive to work. Thanks for joining me, guys.